Well, welcome to those of you in person and those of you who are you know, part of our online congregation, which with COVID right now, uh, it seems like more and more people are in that online space. And I myself am coming to you online uh, as both my wife and I are quarantined and we've had a week of, of illness. And so we're in this process of also um, seeking to try and keep other people healthy and well. And uh, part of our goal as a body is that we believe that Jesus presents the kind of relationship that allows for us to flourish in all ways, uh, physically and mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so part of that is that physical aspect. And so I'm coming from you uh, from my home right now. And uh, we're on this series uh, that has begun um, in Acts 28, which we picked up again here in January. And we've talked about speaking Jesus. And in the, in the series is called Speak Jesus. Uh, bring Jesus in the conversation uh, because we bring so many other things, um, whether it be um, politics, our illness, or the new pandemic, or the latest thing that's happening. Um, our grandkids, we can talk about that. We can talk about your own kids and struggle as a parent, a young parent, all those things. But what if we were to bring Jesus every once in a while into the conversation? So in saying that, uh, we've been talking uh, in Acts 28 about the boldness of speaking Jesus. We talked uh, one week about being unhindered. And last week, I'm grateful to Garrett, who spoke about the power of story, testimony, sharing um, your life with Jesus with others and what that looks like. Today, we're going to talk about embrace. Uh, we're called to radically accept people. We're called to um, embrace people. In fact, I am convinced that uh, before people will embrace our words, often before they will, they will feel and, and need to feel the embrace of our acceptance and love. And that is one thing that Jesus was a master at. He radically accepted people. So a roadmap today, because I'm not going to be there um, in person to do it the way I'd hoped, is there will be a series of different either interviews or stories that will be speaking about aspects of what it means to grow this heart of embrace and what it looks like. And, and so in a few moments, I'm really excited that Lance and Hillary Lang um, is going to be interviewed by Andrea about what it means for them to feel embraced. What was that like coming into this church experience? And you would think that in in our church or in a church, that would be the one place where people would feel deeply embraced, but that's not always the case. Uh, here in Minnesota, we have Minnesota Nice. Many people have grown up here, established relationships, and it's really difficult sometimes to break in. So I wanted just to set that up and say, um, I think uh, one of the things that we are learning to do as a congregation that we are seeking to do with our lives, with others throughout the week where we work, where we live, play, go to school, is embracing people, learning how to radically accept and love people um, where they're at and to be able to share that kind of life with others. So, um So back in 2014, you started coming to Wayzata Free, and what was your first impression? We were looking for church for not only us, but two of our three children who were in high school at the time, and we had just relocated from Boston, and we uh, we had been involved, very actively involved in a church there, and our kids had been a part of youth group. Definitely felt at Wayzata Free that it was a place where we could all plug in. How did the church feel as far as being welcoming? 
Well, one of the things we look for sort of the fruits of the spirit and where we found people demonstrating some love and joy and peace. And um, we're willing to share that. Um, we're, we're very encouraging signs when we first visited. What were some of the ways you tried to plug in once you decided this was maybe your church home? Our phase of life, many people are juggling work, kids, parents, and their lives are very full. And we, we definitely had the impression that it wasn't that people weren't friendly, people were nice, people were friendly, but we kind of just felt a little bit invisible. Like people just kind of, once we left and said, you know, have a good week, we kind of felt like people forgot about us. That didn't feel like a lot of inroads into relationship. A lot of folks had established relationships with their social friends in kindergarten. <laughs> there, there didn't seem to be a chance to break into those circles. You know, a lot of times when people move to new communities or new neighborhoods, they expect that their church might be the first place they could meet people who are introducing them to the area and in, inviting them to, to share, you know, a, a meal or two. I would say the most powerful thing I have done and continue to do is to be involved in a small prayer group. And I think what I learned as I began to go to that prayer group is that I needed to shift my thinking away from trying to make friends and start to focus more on building fellowship with these sisters in Christ. Uh, our group prays for our children and we all have had this shared mission. And through that, you know, very deep trusting relationships have happened. I would echo that in the men's group that I uh, started attending and joined in with. It was more or less finding um, guys with a common mission for really wanting to experience Christ and the Holy Spirit in a different way. Just finding folks in the church who had a similar um, call to mission or call to growth. What's uh, something you think would just be a valuable first step to take? Well, I think you have to know that you're going to get out of your comfort zone, unless you're a huge extrovert, which we are not. And it's uh, just kind of creating a discipline for yourself of speaking to at least one person that is around you in the in the church or someone out by the coffee, uh, just to have a conversation. And then ideally, to kind of keep your eyes open for that person the next time, because certainly one conversation doesn't make a friendship. Mm -hmm. Just a conversation about what are you going to do after church today? But just mm -hmm. to kind of that people would open their eyes to the people other than they are already thinking like, oh, I want to touch base with that person, but to open their eyes to the people that you might not know. Mm -hmm. And I would say that it's a, it's a large organization. So forget that. We've been with Wayzata Free since 2014. And we find ourselves sometimes introducing ourselves to folks that have been there 20 years and <laughs> didn't recognize them or know that and they were new. Yeah, and, and that's and okay. So, yeah, and that's okay. Exactly. Thank you, Lance and, and Hillary, for just sharing your story. Uh, we have outside our worship space, as you um, are out in the lobby, you'll see it. it, it, it these three words, it says, everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect and anything's 
possible. And we really believe that's true. And as we think about this idea of speak Jesus, uh, one of the things that I think is really important is that if people don't feel welcomed, they don't feel and embrace your acceptance and your love, they're probably not going to hear your words. And, and Luke understood that. So as you read the story of the gospel of Luke, Luke wrote that gospel and then also wrote the book of Acts, which we looked at. It, 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 it is incredibly important, I think, that we stop before we leave this series and talk about this foundational underpinning that like Luke was writing as you read through the gospel, this idea that people felt so welcome, embraced, um, not just a friendliness and a niceness, but people who um, weren't perfect. Uh, and if you look around and you think people got their act together, um, I often will do this, you know, turn and look at someone. And, and even though they may drive a really nice car or they're looking really nice in the clothes they're wearing, you know, they probably don't have their act together either. We all feel the sense of, uh, of, of brokenness when we get real with ourselves. And so these people came to Jesus, felt welcome. They weren't perfect. And they knew and they longed for a solution that was not in themselves. It wasn't about their ability to make life work. It wasn't about their righteousness um, before God. They recognized the fact of their need of God. They recognized that they had sinned. And as a result of that, they came to Jesus knowing that anything was possible, that this this God had the ability to heal and, and to set free and to um, allow for a, a person to flourish and understand what it means to live in peace and, and joy. Not that you don't have problems, but you have God with you in those. And so they experienced the radical acceptance of Jesus. And you see that throughout the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Not only does Jesus um, um, talk about it, he demonstrates it. He touches a leper. There's a woman at the well who is from Samaria and herself is uh, a woman who's married many times and, and has lived a life that um, that is far from the ideal. And Jesus speaks with her, which was radical in the sense of accepting her and talking with her. Uh, a Roman centurion where Jesus would speak to the enemy, um, not a Jew, and not only not a Jew, a Gentile, but not only just a Gentile, but one from Rome who had invaded their land. And then Nicodemus, who, who worked with those people who invaded their lands, who was a tax collector who became incredibly wealthy. And Jesus sees him in a tree and says, you, we little man, I want to spend time with you. And there's this radical acceptance. And he he teaches it, demonstrates it, and then he would tell stories about it. There's three stories in particular in Luke chapter 15, where he talks about the lost coin, uh, the lost lamb, and then the lost sons. Not just son, lost sons. Because one of them who appears so far from God, who is left to his father and is far away, is really closest to God in many ways because he comes into touch with his own brokenness, his own sin, his own rebellion. And his heart now is moving close to God, where the person who appears to be closest to God, living with him, who is doing all the things right in his heart because of his attitudes and because of his sense of self-righteousness and what he has done is farthest from God. And Jesus gives both of them a chance to come to God. And that story begins by saying this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And then it has this little comment in 
It says, and even eating with them. And that comment's really important. It, it demonstrates radical acceptance of, of God towards people who feel far from him, who know and understand their brokenness and their shame and live with the guilt of their own sin. Jesus, he actually spent time with them. It wasn't a Minnesota nice. It wasn't a friendliness. It was a deep friendship built on the sense where they experienced his love and acceptance, even though they still had sin in their life, even though they still had questions and doubts, and even though they had, in some way, were holding on to things that were probably very contrary to what Jesus himself believed, which I think is interesting, is he spent time with them and he was ridiculed by others because it appeared that he was condoning what they were doing. And those two don't go together. Radical acceptance doesn't mean that you accept everything that they believe or do. I mean, I radically hope to accept my, my wife and my children, but I don't believe everything they believe is right. And yet, I can really deeply love them. And that's what I'm called to do. And that's what you're called to do. Book of Acts continues to tell the same story. Jesus gives the marching orders, start Jerusalem. It says, then go to Judea. And then it says Samaria, which would be an area that the gospel would never have gone. And then to the ends of the earth. And, and that being to the Gentiles and even finding its final location in Acts 28 in Rome, the place most opposed to God now becomes eventually, because of the radical acceptance and love of God that transforms people when they feel welcomed and they know they're not perfect and they recognize that anything's possible in God, transforms Rome so that someday Rome becomes a center that spreads Christianity throughout Western civilization. The story that I, I, I like the, the most around the radical acceptance of Jesus is the story of the woman who's caught in adultery And that story in John, I think, is such an important story because you have this woman who's dragged from her home and you have to ask the question. It's as if she's dragged right out of the bed of this relationship that she's in. And you have to ask, where's the guy? So they drag this woman and the accusers stand around her. And it's really a setup because they want to see whether Jesus will condemn the sin. Is he really a man of the law or not? And so they stand around him. Jesus does something Interesting. He kneels down where she is at. So you see two people almost on the same level. He, he comes down to her level of brokenness and kneels there. And then he begins to write in the sand. You're wondering what he's writing. And it could have been he's writing the Ten Commandments or it could have been he had a word of knowledge and he was writing down sins of the people standing around them. And then at a certain point, as they're all looking at their sin and feeling the guilt of their own sin, he makes this statement. He says, any of you who are without sin, go ahead. Be free to condemn. I mean, start stoning her. And he knows every one of us, every one of us has sinned. None of us have the right and ability to stand over and throw stones and condemn. That's only God's job. There's only one person who is in that space that could have thrown a stone, and that was Jesus. He was perfect without sin, and he didn't. He radically accepted her. And and here's one of the things that he says, right, as she's, you know, the people, as you get this picture of the people see their sin, they start dropping the stones because they feel the guilt of their heart. They walk away, and now it's Jesus and his disciples and her. And 
he says one thing to her. He says, go and sin no more. I radically love and accept you. But the word sin here is interesting because it's a deep sense of embrace. He's not just saying quit and try hard not to sin. He says, once you've experienced what you've just experienced here now, the radical acceptance and love and embrace of God, my embrace, then don't try and seek that embrace in the arms of other men or whatever it is that wound is that you're trying to heal. Only God can do that. And so he embraces him. In a moment, I'm going to have my good friend, John Ortberg, as he does this interview on uh, his um, his kind of uh, YouTube blog with uh, another friend, Rich Blackman, where he's going to share about the scales of acceptance. And I want you to think about where do you find yourself, maybe with a couple people right now that God has in your life, and where are you at? And is it possible to move up one of those scales um, to a, a new level of radical acceptance. It may not be embrace, but maybe you can move from one place to the next. Enjoy this. So, Rick, walk us through a little bit. Where did that idea of a scale of acceptance come from, and what are the components of it? You know, John, where it came from originally is um, I'm, I do a lot of marital therapy. Mm-hmm. And Sherry and I were asked to do a talk once. Um, one of my things is uh, I like to think that the biggest challenge to any marriage is how will a couple deal with differences. Hmm. And that you don't know very much about how different you are when you first marry, but that every year <laughs> that goes by, you know more about how different you really are oh, from your beloved. Yeah, so it's now that you're moving closer together, you're actually learning more about your differences. If you're halfway awake. And paying attention. Yeah. That's right. So Sherry and I were going to do this talk on embracing differences. And we were taking a walk and, and kind of preparing for it. And Sherry asked this really good question. She says, what if there's some differences like you're never going to embrace? Hmm. And I thought about, ooh, that's a good point. And we made up. You didn't ask her if she had anything in particular. <laughs> oh, sure, she had a lot of things in uh-huh. mind. We made up a scale on the spot that hmm. I have now on a board in my office. And it's a five-point scale uh, that goes from condemn to endure to tolerate to accept to embrace. And the way that I started off using it and the way we used it in this course that we were teaching is you want to, as much as you can, move up the scale. And I will tell you, as a marriage counselor, a lot of times when people come to see me as a couple, Mm -hmm. they've clearly been moving down the scale more towards condemnation, um, uh, especially the differences. So I'll ask things like, you know, tell me how different you really are and what is uh, your um, ability to accept that person. Mm. Uh, Usually I'll ask a question like this. Do you feel loved and accepted by your spouse for who you are in contrast to who they want you to be. Well, just think about that gap. Who does my wife want me to be? Who am I really? And, and I'm how- thinking for people watching this, it could be parent and child, it could be friend and friend. A- absolutely, yeah. I just started with a marriage relationship, mm-hmm. but in any relationship. And to what degree do you feel loved? Um, even so. And so if I could say, oh, my wife, I think my wife loves and accepts me, even though I know she would rather I was uh, a little more detailed in some of the things, and I know she wishes I liked flowers more like she does, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, that sort of thing. In fact, the, the, the thing that we talked about, 
in that first talk was country music. Uh, that was a thing that when we got married way back when, 40-something years ago now, uh, we both disliked country music. But as time went by, I started to like it. And now, if you go into my car, two out of the five stations are punched into country music. I like country music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sherry, she comes from Europe. She doesn't really have a taste for it. So I keep bugging her, are you going to be moving up the scale <laughs> <laughs> from solid condemnation of country music <laughs> to, to at and, least and, endurance? And honestly, that was yeah. the whole point, is there's yeah. something she's never going to embrace. Uh-huh. I would actually say she's up to tolerate. Wow. She watched a country music award show with me a few weeks back and watched the whole thing, watched for three hours. Mm-hmm. And there's some catchy uh, signs in that. But it's turned out to be this interesting thing spiritually, and I, I love the thing that you're doing on radical acceptance, and it ends up being, you know, it, it, even, again, in a close relationship, if you ask, can you change your child? Can you change your parent? Mm-hmm. Can you change your spouse? I usually instantly revert to this scale. If you've sufficiently moved up, if if you want something to change in me, and you're going to press me on that, John, which you certainly do in our friendship... If I don't feel loved and accepted already for who I am, the likelihood that I'll be able to take in your input about the way I may need to change is low. But in if fact, I when feel, you write about this, you talk about uh, the three rules for changing your spouse? Yes, the three rules for changing anybody, mm-hmm. certainly your spouse, are number one, lose interest in changing your spouse. Second rule, lose interest in changing your spouse. <laughs> Third rule, lose interest. Sort of like real estate and location, location, mm-hmm. location. Um, it turns out, but the, the bed, and that's why this series that you're doing feels so exciting to me, is that based on our feeling loved and embraced, mm-hmm. not just loved, really, not, not just tolerated, uh, but embraced for who we are, is, I believe, what you're teaching and what the Bible's teaching about setting the stage for transformation, growth, uh, and change. So I have, I find myself pointing to this scale. Um, I have a little arrow. What what direction are you going? I might even use this just with an individual, John. Like mm-hmm. if they are dealing with a troublesome emotion, a negative emotion, I might be finding it with, the, with them in the Psalms, that sort of thing. I want to know the same thing. To what degree are you able to embrace Mm. Can we move towards embrace? Can mm. we move towards... Sometimes I'll tell people, my job right now with your anxiety, for example, is to try to get you to hate it less mm. or to stop condemning because the very condemnation that you apply to your own, oh, I hate feeling anxious, I hate feeling depressed, in some ways can exacerbate and make the problem more stubborn, stubborn stubbornly resistant uh, to change. So, But... It, but- uh, if somebody's feeling depressed or they're feeling anxious, they're not going to like that feeling. No, and I'll usually say something like that. I may not be able to get you all the way up the scale to loving, embracing, mm-hmm. but to be able to tolerate, that's where I might use that word tolerate, uh, sort of the middle point mm-hmm. of the scale, is if I can tolerate. Though, you know, John, I actually do, I do try to even move it harder. I will ask some people at times to try to welcome their mm-hmm. emotions. What happens if they don't do that? What if I say, I feel anxious and I just hate this and I keep trying to resist it and i gotta stop doing this it will why is that a bad idea worse well be i'm i'm a pragmatist about stuff like that it's understandable to me why you might hate your anxiety it's so Mm -hmm. troublesome it's so annoying but by the very condemning 
or hating that you're doing, it actually amplifies it and exacerbates it. So it's kind of a practical observation that if I can welcome it, allow it, sometimes even more aggressively, mm-hmm. this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And, and think of doing that with differences like in, in a relationship that you're in, that it's really okay. I, I'm allowing, I'm, I'm like permitting, if, if I can use that word, the differences to um, exist because a lot of times the force of relational conflict um, is I need you to change. I need you to be different than you are, yeah. which, again, is a demotivator. I'm unlikely to, <laughs> to change. Why do you yes. laugh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just thinking, if somebody said that to me, you know, the intent is to motivate the other person. Yeah, of course. I, I want you to change. I want you to know how much I want you to change. But that ends up not being... Uh, a very motivating thing to hear. Which seems so yeah, applicable counter. to God, yep. right? Yeah. Like, if God yes. is truly died for me, embraces me in my brokenness and where I am, mm. and springboarding from that, I want to know the different ways that I can participate with God in growth and transformation that, that, that just feels like the right sequence mm-hmm. uh, to me, which is, I think, what radical acceptance probably uh, ends up meaning. Well, I hope that made sense to you because I, I, I truly understand what it means in my life to stand in a position of condemning with a sense of contempt. And, and then you move to this sense of endure and then you can just tolerate someone. You know, you might feel that at work. You're just tolerating that person. But what does it mean to accept them as a person and then maybe to embrace and where are you at and can you move up that scale? Uh, we are called, according to Luke and Acts, to radically accept, we hear, as we just said, there's some, some if you haven't thought about it, there's some steps to that kind of embrace. There's a, a scale that you can move up on. But then I talk about the struggle. Why is it such a struggle? You ever, you know, why is it so tough? And I think there's some reasons, some specific reasons that we can pay attention to. And one I think is, is, is pride. Um, this just sense of I'm right and, and you're wrong. And it's just instinctual, I think, for us to point out in other people things that we are critical of or that we um, want to condemn um, and combined with the sense of I won't. Um, accepting as a person in your mind might mean I'm accepting what they believe, which we see in the life of Jesus. Those two didn't go together. Um, he spent time eating with those who were directly opposed in their lifestyle to many things that were probably um, very clear uh, in the Jewish law of, of what it meant to walk with God. There's also another, it's the inability. And so it's not kind of like I'm right, I won't, but there's a sense of um, I can't, I don't have the ability, which is, a, is not a bad place to be. Because now if you can get real about that and go, God, I, I just can't. God goes, I can, if you're willing to open your heart and let me teach you. I can lead you step by step um, with your inability placed in my hands and my ability. We can move this thing forward. Now, for some, it's it's fear. I'm afraid. And, and my biggest fear is um, wanting to make sure that others, especially other people who believe like I believe, um, I don't want them to criticize me or to think lower or less of me or anything like that. And that goes back to that message. If you didn't hear that message in, in the early one uh, in, in January, I think it was the 9th, on Unhindered, 
It's this sense of if you know the deep acceptance of God, you are dangerous because you're not looking for approval in the eyes of others because you're living out of approval of God. And so fear can hold you back. The last thing could be what I call understanding. Uh, It's not only I'm right and I won't or I can't, I'm not able or I'm afraid uh, what others think. There's what I call You didn't maybe have the understanding, just weren't aware of the fact that um, you could. And, and this is what I call, I didn't know. And so I've asked um, uh, Greg Hartzell, who is on our leadership board, to come and to share his experience. Uh, and, and Greg, I'm just ask you, does any of this resonate with you? And if you would take a few moments to share how you um, first were exposed to what it meant to live with radical acceptance. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I can definitely relate to some of those reasons, especially fear. Uh, Fear is my biggest struggle. I'm fearful of doing it wrong or alienating someone from the gospel. But I was reminded as I was talking to Kevin about a message that I heard quite a while ago from uh, Dave Stavros. So Dave and his wife, Gina, are missionaries in Lima, Peru. And they were sent from our church many years ago to reach the people in Peru with the gospel. In fact, Carlos Block, who we, who was up here a few weeks ago, um, was part of Dave's ministry in Peru. And many years ago, Dave Stavros spoke at our church, and he gave the morning message similar to what Kevin was talking about today. And he was talking about, we need to be a place open for people to come and see Jesus. He explained that churches often operate like this, behave, believe, belong, when it comes to accepting people. We expect that people behave the way we do and believe what we believe, and then we will allow them to belong. Meaning, we allow them into our life. By acting this way, we are keeping out the very people that Jesus wants us to reach. Instead, Dave challenged us to flip this around, to belong Believe, behave. Belong is that, every, is that everyone's welcome acceptance that Kevin is talking about. It allows people to come and experience Jesus without the expectation that they behave a certain way or that they even believe in Jesus. By experiencing Jesus, they have the opportunity to believe in Jesus and receive him. By, accepting into, by stepping into faith, they become the new creation that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Since we are new creations, our behavior will begin to change us and transform us by the Holy Spirit. It was many years ago that I heard that message from Dave, and it has stuck with me, and it's how I desire to live. Um, And it's my desire for our church to, to be this place as well. Um, In addition, a few years ago, God impressed on me by giving me this phrase, your life matters. In response to the killing of Fernando Castillo, I wrote in my Facebook page a couple days later um, this, and I'll read it to you. As I reflect on all that has happened over this last week, I've been trying to figure out how to respond and make a difference. As I thought about Black Lives Matters, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter campaigns, a thought came to my mind. What if I reframe this to your life matters? 
This seems so simple, but it helps remind me that everyone I come in contact with is a person whose life matters. And I need to treat them in such a way that shows that their life is a precious, is precious regardless of their race or religion. This takes the focus off of me, my needs, my rights, my desires, and instead places the focus on others. If we all do this, it will make a difference and diffuse the tension that is building. So I invite you, will you join me in living that out and accepting people and treating them as if their life matters? Jesus met people where they were and throughout his everyday life. You and me are the church wherever we go, and we are the church to everyone we interact with. Each of our interactions is an opportunity for someone to experience the acceptance and love of Jesus and to know that their life matters to me and their life matters to God. And I'm sure there's someone here today that needs to hear that, that needs to know that their life matters. We live in a world where there's lots going on, and we don't hear that very often, that your life matters. And I just say that to you today because I suspect there's some that are here that need to hear that. Your life matters. It matters to us, and more importantly, it matters to God.